You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, March 10th, 2022. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. After the BBC headlines, Fuel takes center stage on the California report. The state takes back control of emissions policies, while House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy wants Governor Newsom to loosen restrictions on oil extraction. Then, a first-hand report from a humanitarian group on Poland's border with Ukraine. After an update on the expansion of Hospitality House, we end with an essay from Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California officials are cheering a Biden administration move to restore the state's power in setting its own smog control rules. The decision reverses a Trump-era policy. KQED senior climate editor Kevin Stark reports. Governor Newsom called it a major victory in the fight against climate change. Speaking to auto executives and climate leaders at an electric vehicle summit, here's Newsom's climate advisor, Lauren Sanchez. We're all really excited. We can take this agenda even further. She said California is now glad to partner with EPA to reduce emissions, improve air quality, and push for electric vehicles. Newsom wants to move beyond regulating gas cars and has ordered the sale of new ones banned entirely by 2035. Environmental groups want the state to move more aggressively and include trucks and buses in that ban. Still, Richard Frank, director of UC Davis's Law and Policy Center, says California's authority to regulate emissions from gas cars is important. While we are in the process of seeing a transition from fossil-fueled vehicles to electric uh, vehicles, that transition is going to take considerable amount uh, of time. He says whatever California can do now to limit the greenhouse gas emissions from cars is critical and necessary for the state to reach its climate targets. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. California Republican Congressman and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is calling on the governor to reverse the state's restrictions on oil and gas production now that Russian oil imports have been banned. KQED's Alex Hall has more. In a letter addressed to Governor Newsom Tuesday, McCarthy said California's current oil and gas policies enacted under his administration have, quote, crippled the industry and that they harm California oil and gas producers' ability to meet the country's energy needs and strengthen national security. McCarthy laid out a list of proposed actions he says would keep gas prices stable for California drivers and offset the country's dependence on Russian crude oil. Those include steps like approving new and pending drilling permits, repealing an executive order banning new fracking in the state by 2024, and reversing California's moratorium on new wells that use cyclic steam injection, an oil extraction method that has been linked to a series of leaks in Kern County's oil fuel. Fields. Congressman McCarthy's district covers most of Kern County, which produces about 70 percent of the state's oil. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has created a mushrooming humanitarian catastrophe in Europe. Millions of Ukrainians who were living normal lives just three weeks ago have now become refugees and displaced persons, fleeing Russian bullets, bombs, and missiles. In response, organizations from around the world are springing into action, offering expertise and material support. That includes the Santa Barbara-based group Shelterbox, which provides emergency shelters and supplies to 
to people living in disaster and conflict zones around the world. From Poland, Shelterbox's president, Carrie Murray, joins us now. Carrie, thanks for being on the show. Thanks. Thank you for having me. So I understand you were down on the border of Poland and Ukraine yesterday. What did you see? As chaotic as you would think it would be. It was very coordinated. It was very calm. I saw clergy handing out tulips to every single person who got off the train. I saw great humanitarian organizations, World Central Kitchen, right on the platform, serving hot meals. I saw first responders. The first responders are Polish citizens. They're there. They're providing meals. They're providing SIM cards. They're providing rides. So what are the the needs that your group is trying to meet specifically? So at Shelterbox, we provide emergency shelter and basic supplies to set up household. It's going to be different in this disaster. There are things like our shelter toolkits, the tarps and tools to repair homes that have been bombed in Ukraine. These help provide the ability to repair your home so you can shelter in place. And because this refugee crisis is happening really in the heart of Eastern Europe, are there particular challenges or opportunities that present themselves that wouldn't if this were occurring someplace else in the world? Well, the obvious challenge right now is the difficulty with humanitarian corridors and access. So right now we have to ensure that these corridors are maintained so people, one, can leave safely, but also so we can have a reliable and predictable way to get critical supplies into Ukraine to help these folks who've been left behind. But also just in terms of things that are gonna make this helpful to us is that we do have aid pre-positioned within the region. So within a two days drive, we actually have warehouses filled with some supplies in Belgium. And we can also procure some items that we don't have in Europe. And of course, as we try to grapple with what's happening with Ukrainian refugees, there are so many other places of misery and war in the world, right? Afghanistan, mm-hmm. Yemen, and so on. Are there any concerns that that addressing the needs, the very you know real needs of Ukrainians might take attention and resources away from what's happening in other places on the planet? Yes. And so while this is one of the biggest humanitarian issues right now facing our world, there's several others and so that aren't getting the headlines or the attention. And so there are places that are truly forgotten about, places like Yemen, one of the worst humanitarian situations in our world today, Syria. And so yes, for us, while this is drawing a ton of attention, and we are absolutely committed to supporting these families who've been displaced by the crisis in Ukraine, we have to continue to support people in places who've been displaced by awful conflict situations in other parts of the world. So so yes, that's something that for many organizations that are responding, we do this, this work all over the world, and it's not going to get the attention that this crisis is receiving. All right. That is Carrie Murray, president of Santa Barbara-based Shelterbox. Carrie, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. Thank you. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org slash health equity. Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, 
whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And that is the California Report for this Thursday, March 10th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. In regional news, on the ubinet.com website today, the Nevada Irrigation District reports that one of the driest winters on record will mean our region is likely to get no relief from drought conditions this year. A release from NID went on to say that there is moderately good drought news, meaning the Nevada Irrigation District is in better shape than others. That conclusion is based on the findings of the March survey on snow courses that provide water to district customers. The survey was taken in late February and on March 1st. During the latest survey, NID hydrographers found the average water content in the snowpack was 23.8 inches, or 85% of average, for the district's five high-elevation snow courses. In comparison, last month's snow survey found water content to be 24.7 inches. NID's nine reservoirs are currently storing 195,824 acre-feet of water, which is 72% of capacity and 94% of average. Short of a March miracle deluge, the NID release said, the region will again fall short of an average water supply and will be pressed to conserve as much water as possible. NID's water master noted that February produced less than one inch of precipitation. It was the ninth driest February on record. This followed an exceptionally dry January. The two-month total of 2.83 inches was the second driest January and February in 134 years of records, according to NID. NID's survey fared better than a survey by the State Department of Water Resources. That survey found the water content of the statewide snowpack was just 63% of normal to date, and the snowmelt forecast was just 66% of average. Nevada County Public Health reported seven new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. 39 cases are active. Four people are hospitalized, none in the intensive care unit. Monica Doherty has announced she will retire as superintendent of the Nevada City School District in July, according to a release published on ubinet.com. Doherty has served the Nevada City School District for 22 years as a teacher, principal, and superintendent. Jennifer Singer, president of the Nevada City School District Board of Trustees, stated the board was, quote, incredibly grateful for Monica's service to our district, especially during the last two years. Monica has managed the pandemic with strength and grace and has been a model leader in education in California. The board said a subcommittee will work on filling the position and that a celebration of Doherty's retirement will take place later in the spring. Cal Fire will conduct a 13-acre prescribed burn for three to five hours Monday along the runway and taxiway at the Nevada County Airport, according to a news release published in the Union newspaper of Grass Valley. The burn by Cal Fire's Nevada Yuba Placer Unit will help with vegetation treatment and fuels reduction. The goal is to reduce the threat of fire to the airport and its neighbors, reduce the spread of invasive weeds, and make it easier for pilots to see wildlife near the runway. Five engines and three hand crews will be assigned to the burn. The airport will be closed from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday. Smoke may be visible in the areas of Banner Mountain, Brunswick Road, and the Glenbrook Basin. 
Registration is now open for Genealogy with the Foley, Family Search Tips, a free online class offered a week from today by the Doris Foley Library for Historical Research. Instructor Susan Rogers will discuss strategies for searching in FamilySearch.org, the largest free genealogy records archive on the Internet. Information about the class a week from today can be found at the online library events calendar. Turning to regional weather, gusty winds are expected to subside this evening, and mild temperatures and sunshine will continue through the weekend. The forecast includes a chance of light showers in Northern California late Monday into Tuesday. Up to a few inches of snow are possible over the Sierra. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, clear with a low of 43 degrees. Mainly sunny Friday with a high of 64 and a low in the mid-40s. In Truckee tonight, clear with a low of 11 degrees. Friday in Truckee, sunny with a high of 51 and a low of 20. In Sacramento this evening, clear with a low of 37. Friday in Sacramento, sunny with a high of 71 and a low of 39. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Next up, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza talks to Tyson Powers, Program Officer at Hospitality House, about new developments at the shelter in the time of COVID. COVID has disrupted everyone's lives, and I'm sure the residents of Hospitality House of Utah's place are no exception. Tell me about how the shelter has been affected by COVID-19. Uh, yes, I mean, we, we're we not immune. Um, we actually held out a lot longer than we thought as far as COVID coming through the shelter. We've had um, two outbreaks, and we were able in the first one to move either our most highly vulnerable, like medically vulnerable people out um, into hotels for a while as we got over the outbreak in the shelter. And then in our second outbreak with the Omicron variant, it spread very fast. And in all cases, we shut down the shelter. We don't allow anybody to come or go. Um, you know, everybody stays in and shelters in place just like, you know, you and I would at home. Um, and, you know, we just had to ride it out. And this Omicron one was was highly contagious and it spread through the entire shelter very fast. But Everybody came out on the other side fine, and, you know, we're back to our normal operations. I've heard that there's some construction happening at Utah's place. Tell me about that. So we were awarded some funds through the COVID round of funding through the state, and um, it's through HCD, which is Housing and Community Development. And this was primarily um, kind of to expand space at the shelter, um, and what we are doing is expanding our front deck, our rear uh, deck, and we are also adding an ADA lift, which we haven't had in the past. So this will allow um, our more um, non-ambulatory people to get upstairs into our onward dorm um, who, you know, have use of wheelchairs or walkers or just have a really difficult time walking up and down stairs. Uh, we are also able to put in our walk-in refrigerator freezer 
that we fundraised for uh, last year, year before. Um, so that allows our kitchen capacity to grow as we are serving, you know, three meals a day, seven days a week. And that started back at the beginning of the pandemic. So um, just increasing some space, which is great for everybody in this COVID era. Can you tell me a little bit more about that funding? It's coming through HCD, which is the Housing Community Development um, State Agency, and it's earmarked specifically for COVID funding. So to assist us in, you know, like I said before, expanding space capacity at the shelter. And the biggest thing for us, you know, that we saw a huge need for was on our front deck area. Um, there's just, there wasn't a whole lot of space for anybody coming up to the shelter to either drop off donations or just people coming up to get some food or some clothing. There really wasn't much space for anybody to be up there. I mean, you could really only have a handful of people at a time on our front porch, um, decking area. And with this new deck, it, over triples our size of the deck. So we will have much more room for everybody to be on that area. I understand. So it's going to improve the shelter, not necessarily increase capacity, but create more space for residents to congregate without being too close together. Correct. And also so that they don't, you know, um, because as we know in this era of COVID, we want social distancing and this allows us to serve people coming to the door while not, you know, jeopardizing the safety of the shelter. If someone comes up and they don't know that they have COVID, um, it doesn't, they're not within close proximity to anybody who's already within our shelter. And how long is the project scheduled for? How long is this going to take? It will last until uh, June 30th. That is when all of our construction needs to be done um, to fulfill the funding uh, time frame. And that's what it's slated. We're, I believe the last uh, thing to be done is inspections, and those will all be completed by the 30th of June. So in the past, Hospitality House would solicit and accept donations from the general public. Is Hospitality House back to accepting donations? Uh, not yet. We're still um, holding off on accepting them at this time. Uh, we had a massive outpouring during the holidays. Um, the community really, you know, comes together during the holidays for us and really gave us a lot of the much needed items. And And it's just also for safety during COVID as well as during construction. We've just decided it would be uh, better if we just hold off on the donations for now. Tyson Powers. Program Officer at Hospitality House Shelter. Thanks a lot for talking with us here at KVMR News. You got it. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. The other night I was sitting on my sofa with the front door open. I was thinking about masks and war and human behavior when I noticed there was kind of a racket going on outside. A big racket. Then it abruptly stopped. My cat India sauntered in the front door and his brother Jack after him. I said hello in English. Hello. 
and also in Norwegian. Haidu, as I am encouraging my cats to become bilingual. And then the racket started up again. Wow, I thought, it's those spring peepers. What the heck are peepers, you may ask, and you would be within your rights. I'm going to look this up because I don't know what the heck they are either. I mean, I think they're frogs, but why are they not just called frogs? After a lot of stupid ads for reading glasses, Professor Google sent me over to Brian Banbury, a herpetologist who works for the Ohio Division of Wildlife. They're small little frogs, he says, to make sure we understand the size, not much bigger than the end of your thumb. Tree frogs, in fact, who are rather silent most of the year and not in evidence, although one famously came in my house all last summer through the cat door, would you believe, in order to reach my kitchen sink. I took him out every evening in my cupped hands. Sometimes he hopped up and down in there, which is about the weirdest feeling I know, but often he just waited quietly until I set him down among the zucchini leaves. Wikipedia would like to argue with Mr. Banbury, telling us that peepers are only an eastern U.S. resident and that they are a so-called chorus frog. The National Wildlife Federation helpfully chimes in that they are about the length of a paperclip. National Geographic goes one better and shows us an outline of a peeper next to an outline of a paperclip. How the world can be coming apart when people are so helpful, I do not know. No one, it seems, locates any peepers in California, but there I was on my sofa in the Sierra foothills, listening to them live. A western chorus frog is noted, but its habitat seems to be west of Pennsylvania and east of the Mississippi, which to some of us is ridiculous, despite how people on the eastern seaboard look at the rest of the country. I thought peepers were a life stage of frogginess, a teenaged couple of weeks between tadpole and adult when the hormones ran wild. But that seems to be something I made up. Peeper is the name for the entire frog life, or maybe a nickname after tree frog, chorus frog, and Pseudacris crucifer, the Latin name, which sounds like a rapper to me. I hope, wherever you live, you will open a window and cock your ears tonight in case some crazy love-struck frogs are in the neighborhood. The noise they make is so hilarious. Send up a wish, a prayer, a spring peeper chorus for peace while you're at it. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, it's the Climate Report. Host Martin Webb says a new global climate action movement asks individuals to commit to six key lifestyle changes. Research suggests it could reduce global emissions by 25%. At 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. 
Then KVMR returns to the eclectic music you love. Jazz Workshop at 8 with Brian Nas, followed at 10 by Jive AF with Step D Luna. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. And Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties and San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us tomorrow at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.